bushes. Ready? And, I mean, they do it, but they don't, just don't do it like I like I would do it. So I still didn't want to give him five hundred dollars. So yeah, now, he was going to yeah. supposedly do everything, but. I said, well, so I've got everything done, and I Welcome. called him. I said, look, just come and give me Easter a Easter Sunday. We are here as the body of Christ. Spread the mulch. I've already There's three of us in the building. Me and Paul, Steve are here. I've done the – You're where you are. Whether you're – All I need you to do is wherever you are in the home or in your – I'll even try it. You'll just put it somewhere, wherever you happen to be. I'm excited to be with you as the body of Christ, wherever you are, Christ Church family especially – as we celebrate Easter Sunday. So what we're going to do to get started is we're going to do, I'm going to give you a little test. So we're going to greet each other the way the early church greeted one another when they talked about Jesus Christ. So in just a moment, I'm going to say he is risen. And you're going to say they're in your family together, so I'm giving you time to... to uh, get your lines down. You are going to say, he is risen indeed. All right, here you go. Ready? He is risen. Now, now some of you weren't excited and you weren't ready. I'm going to give you one more opportunity. I want you to excitedly say, he is risen indeed. He is risen. And indeed, he is risen. That's what we're excited about as the body of Christ. Last Sunday, we were dealing with the beginning of Passion Week, Palm Sunday, we call it, when Jesus triumphantly rides into Jerusalem and he initiates that last week of his life on earth as God, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of Man. We dealt with all that last week. It begins Passion Week. We talked about it was a triumph over tragedy because he comes riding in to these great accolades, thousands upon thousands of people, probably two and a half million people in Jerusalem for, for Passover, and he comes riding in. They're screaming Hosanna to the son of David, as the, thinking he's the Messiah, and their time has come, he's going to overthrow Rome. And then as the week progresses, we see the Garden of Gethsemane and that agony. We see the crucifixion on Good Friday we just celebrated two days ago. And then you see the end of the week, and it looks incredibly dire. looks like it's over. The disciples themselves said, he must not have been the Messiah. I'm going to go back fishing when he died on Good Friday. The interesting thing there is we call it Good Friday because he paid our sin debt. We dealt with that. But today, we celebrate the beginning of the next week that Easter Sunday, that real Passover, the lamb has died, and now on the first day of the week, they come to the tomb, and he's not there. He has risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. And the reason that we celebrate, the reason the church exists, the reason we are the tool that God has chosen to share truth with the world so they can be redeemed is that Christ Jesus did rise from the dead, but now Christ is risen. We've shared those scriptures together, read together today. Peter had you uh, read some scriptures. And that incredible passage in 1 Corinthians 15. So what I want to share together today, I want you to turn to John chapter 12. It's where we were last week with the, with the triumphal entry. And we're going to look at 
an event that happens during that week leading up to the crucifixion after he enters Jerusalem. So turn to John chapter 12. What I want you to focus on today is that Easter for us as Christians, and even for people who are not Christians, many, many are thinking about and even trying to celebrate and understand on this Easter Sunday, 2020, when it's such a crazy time in our world because of this the COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic that we're all facing, and so many people are afraid and terror and hurting, and in such a tragic time. I talked to a city official this week, and what she and I were talking about were just different things, and, and she's, her exact words to me were this, we definitely need prayer warriors at this time, don't we? That was one of the officials in our town, and one of the leaders and we need to be praying for them and praying for our president and pray, praying for leaders, if nothing else, that they would seek the face of God. Because, yes, this is a terrible time. And all of us are hurt and touched by this in different ways. But the exciting thing is our God did not stop being God six weeks ago. He's still God right now. So what we're going to look at today is... Easter, I want to see Jesus. I want to know who he is. I want to know what he's doing. I want to know how he's involved in my life. I want to see Jesus. Several years ago, Time Magazine did a survey and wrote an article trying to explain why fantasy movies and mythic films were so popular. Things like The Wizard of Oz going back in time and Star Wars and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and, and even into the, into the Avengers series now that's so popular. Why? Many, they were trying to figure out why are these so popular. And they really came up with two reasons. One, that it's a brief escape from reality as you watch the movies and you enjoy them. Like Dorothy wakes up and said, well, I'm not in Kansas anymore. This is different. And all of the things that you see, and I remember as a kid growing up, my brother, we would read comic books back in the 60s and early 70s. And my brother absolutely loved Thor. He had every Thor comic book you could possibly have. I was a Captain America guy. I loved to read the Captain America comic book. And here we are years later, 50, 60 years later, and still those things are popular with adults and, and down to my grandchildren now. So why? One is that brief escape from reality. But the tenor of the article was that the primary reason they thought, again, this is not from a Christian perspective, it's just trying to understand humanity from Time Magazine, is that these type of films appeal to a deeper level of the heart, reminding us that there's something out there that maybe we don't fully understand, something greater that maybe is going on and we want to understand as much as we can what that is. That, in Star Wars, there's a force out there. What is that? Uh, we talked about Dorothy waking up and not in Kansas anymore. That there's a battle out there. There's evil. There's good. And is there any place we can go and find solace, find peace, find hope? The bottom line question for every human being, because we are different, and the rest of creation, 
is we want to know what's the meaning of life. We want to know why are we here? What's our purpose? Where are we going? What's our future? What does this mean? Maybe even right now in the midst of this time, the difficult time that we're facing as a world, what does it mean? If for us as Christians, one of the things that God wants us to do is to constantly turn to him and say, Lord, what are you doing? How can I glorify Jesus in the midst of this pandemic? We talked about last week, it was a triumph in tragedy, and the tragedy was that they missed the real meaning of the Messiah, but he still triumphed. He still died for sin, and now the day we celebrate, he rose from the dead. Here's why that's so significant. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, we have no hope. Our faith is worthless. We are of all men most to be pitied, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And maybe the most significant statement there is we are still in our sins. We've not been redeemed. Because if Jesus did not rise from the dead, he lied. If he lied, he's a sinner. If he's a sinner, he can't save us. He could be a great leader that we might follow. And that's the way some people look at Jesus, a great prophet. We saw last week they called him the rabbi, the prophet from Nazareth. But for us as Christians, we celebrate so much more. He rose from the dead so that we could rise above life. We understand the meaning of life. That's why sharing the gospel is so important, is that we have been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been given new life. And so today, as we look at this event in John 12, I want you to make sure you focus on what's going on. And I want you to think, how can I see Jesus? In my life, right now, in the most difficult of circumstances, he's right in the middle of it with me, and he's always working good, Romans eight twenty eight, always working good, and what I want to do is seek his face and say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I respond in a way that allows me to share the gospel with others? So turn to John chapter 12, and let's kind of set up the context. We're going to start in verse 20. The triumphal entry is over. Jesus is in Jerusalem. There are massive crowds there. We've said several times, probably two and a half million people are in Jerusalem because they're celebrating Passover in the middle of Passion Week. Look at verse 19 of chapter 12 in John. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Exclamation point. This was at the end of the triumphal entry. And the Pharisees are in panic mode because these crowds, thousands upon thousands, are following this Jesus. They see Jesus as a threat, a radical, a rebel, not as their Messiah. They don't want Jesus. They want him gone. And they've already decided we have to kill him. And here we are at that week that they're going to get the Romans to do their work for them. Now verse 20. Please notice this group. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. First thing I want you to notice, they, got a, they have a desire. They want to see Jesus. Now, who are they? It just says certain Greeks. 
among those, that, that huge crowd, two and a half million again, there to quote verse 20, worship at the feast. Please notice, these are not Jews, certain Greeks. These are Gentiles who have come out of pagan polytheism, like the Roman uh, religion of many gods. They're, they're coming out of that in the Greek religion. You know Greek mythology and Roman mythology. They've come out of that to seek the, the monotheism of Judaism. doesn't mean they're followers of Jesus, but it means they're seekers of truth. They come to synagogue. Now they're here to worship because they're interested in Jehovah. Who is this God of the Jews? They only believe in one God. If you know anything about mythology, the Greeks and the Romans, they had a God for everything. As a matter of fact, if you read Acts 17, when Paul goes into Athens, Greece, he says to them, I see that your city is given over to idols, something like 30,000 public idols of worship in Athens at the time. They had a God for everything. And Paul, they even had a generic God to the unknown God. And so Paul begins to describe to them the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. So these Gentiles have come to Jerusalem at the Passover to worship. They're seeking truth, coming out of their pagan polytheism. So they go to Philip, verse 21, 22. Philip came, he told Andrew, verse 22. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. They probably went to Philip, we don't know for sure. But they probably went to Philip because his name is Greek. Even though he's Jewish, he has a Greek name. So they probably went to him. He goes to Andrew. And what's interesting is it says, they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, verse 21, and they asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. The word ask, the tense of that in Greek, is they didn't ask once. They didn't ask twice. They didn't ask three times. They kept asking. In other words, they were not going to take no for an answer. Now, for a moment, context. We talked about thousands upon thousands no telling how many thousands were following Jesus. How many of you think would like to have had a personal interview time with Jesus? A lot, if not all. These Greeks, we don't, again, we don't know how many of them there are, but these Greeks come to Philip, Andrew, said, we want to see Jesus. We want to spend personal time with him. We want to see Jesus. These Jews, the leaders, the Pharisees, had already made it clear. I want you to flip back in your Bibles to chapter 9 of John and look at verse 22. 9.22. His parents said these things, this is uh, male congenital blindness that Jesus had healed. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone Jewish confessed that Jesus was the Christ or Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue. If you were a Jew, go back to chapter 12 now, if you were a Jew, the worst possible thing that could happen to you was to be, quote, put out of the synagogue. Today we would use the term excommunicated. It may not be a big deal to people today, but in the culture of that day, if you were put out of the synagogue, it wasn't just that you couldn't come to synagogue, which is bad enough, but you weren't going to be able to work because nobody would do work with you. Nobody's going to do business with you because you'd been put out. And the leaders would put out the message, stay away from this person. They've been put out. They're not acceptable society anymore. You stay away from them. What's interesting here, and why this is so significant historically and in this moment, 
these Greeks, not Jews, they want to see Jesus. And they're not worried about the Pharisees putting them out of the synagogue. They want to see Jesus. So they approach Philip, Andrew, tell Jesus. They, Jesus' response, verse 23, critical, and I want you to see it, verse 23. But Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Here it is. This moment, this is, as we said before, particularly as we celebrate today on Easter Sunday, the most significant moment in the history of the human race is right here. Good Friday, God died for our sins. Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And notice, Jesus says here, the hour has come. In the upper room discourse the night before, or in the upper room discourse, he's going to tell the Jews, my hour, knowing that his hour had come. He gets down and washes their feet, and he shares the principles of him after he goes away. Here, he's saying, the hour has come. Notice verse 23 again. What hour is that? That the Son of Man should be glorified. The hour. Going all the way back into eternity past particularly, specifically going to the Garden of Eden when original sin occurred. This is the hour throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, even his own siblings in John 7, throughout his earthly ministry, people kept saying to him, Won't you, if you're the Messiah, go, go up and reveal yourself, his own siblings, as we said in John 7. He kept saying, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. Now he's saying, the hour has come. Now, what's the significance of the hour? Verse 23 again, that it's time for him to be glorified. This, from this moment forward in John, the rest of the gospel of John, that's the theme of it, the glorification of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? To give him the correct honor, to worship him, to give a correct estimate of his value and his worth, to honor him for who he is. Look at chapter 13, verse 31. 13, 31. So then, when, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. This is in the upper room discourse. This is the Judas Iscariot when he leaves. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Remember the definition, glorified, to give a correct estimate of what something is worth, that, that value of that thing. Look at chapter 14, verse 13, again, in the upper room discourse the night before the crucifixion. 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I am God. Chapter 17, verse 1. Still, upper room discourse. Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. There it is again. Glorify your Son, that your son also may glorify you. Drop down to verse 4. I have glorified you, Father, on the earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. Now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I am eternal God, and it's time for everyone to see and to know that. Verse 22, same chapter. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them, 
his followers, specifically the 11 here, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know you sent me, and you have loved them as you have loved me, Father. I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. That great moment when he realizes, again, it's time. Now, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he knew. But he also knew this is, the suffering was going to be incredible. We talked about, we've been doing these words of encouragement, and you can uh, see them on our Facebook Live and Instagram, or I think Instagram, and, and I think Steve's even set up a YouTube channel. We're famous now. You can see them, we've been doing them this week, talking about the words of Christ from the cross. And probably the most poignant was when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Since before the foundation of the world, they lived in perfect harmony and love. One God, three persons. And that moment in time, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he becomes our sin dead. And God turns his back on him as he pours out the wrath of the sin debt on the back of the Son of God. That's the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus sweats blood. That's the agony he's going through. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If not, but not my will, your will be done. That's how much God loved you. That's the message of Passover, Easter. He died because he loved you. He was tortured to death because he loved you. But more than that, he took your sin debt, paid it, it is finished, and then rose from the dead to cement it. So now back to John 12. So the hour has come for the Jews and the Gentiles. So the first thing I want you to notice is we talked about his glory. I want to see Jesus. He wanted them to see his glory. But he also wanted to make sure they understood and they could see his suffering. These Greeks have said, we want to see Jesus. And he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You're going to see it, the suffering he's about to go through. But I also want you to see See his glory, but also want you to see his suffering. That's what he's talking about with the hour. Look at verse 27. Drop down to there. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Already picturing what's going to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane and at the crucifixion. He's saying, I could ask God to let me bypass this. He said, I could call down later, he said, I could call down legions of angels, but this is why I came. My kingdom, he said repeatedly, while on earth, my kingdom's not of this world. It's from above. This is why I came for this hour. This is my purpose. And I think the important thing for us before we move to the next point is this. We need to see his glory. And understand who he is. God incarnate. Jesus, the son of God, the son of man. But he came to this planet because he loved Randy Lockley. And Steve Nance and Paul Shearshand and you. He came to this planet for God so loved you. Me. And as I meditate on things like that in, in my personal life and, and just spending time alone with the Lord, it overwhelms me at times that God would love me. 
that much. I need to see his suffering and understand this, if nothing else. And it was horrific. You get a chance to go read what crucifixion did to the human body. And he felt every bit of that. If nothing else, here's what you need to take away from the crucifixion. God loves me. God loves me. And he's not abandoning me because there's a virus, a pandemic that's paralyzed our world. He loves me. Yeah, there's some horrible things I'm going to have to deal with in difficult times, but he loves me. Suffering of Jesus Christ. Now, back to John 12, verse 24. Second point. I need to understand that I need to die to see Jesus. Look at verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Again, Jesus had just said, context, my hour has come. Time for me to be glorified. So here's what he's, he's going to use an illustration, a grain of wheat. He's going to illustrate two things with this grain of wheat. First, verse 24, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces, quote, much grain. First thing you want to understand is Jesus' personal death for our sin. That's the example first illustration of the grain of wheat. And he starts it out, verse 24, by using those words that he used a lot in his earthly ministry. That phrase, most assuredly I say to you, or some translations, verily, verily I say to you. When he says that, here's what it means. I, with absolute authority and power, speak to you absolute truth. In other words, listen up. And when I was growing up, when my father would speak to me, and I knew when uh, my dad was not pleased, and I also knew that if he was talking to me directly, he sure wanted my attention. And he knew how to get it if he didn't have it. What Jesus is saying here is truly, truly, listen. I got something to say to you. I speak the truth. So here are the principles he lays out with the example. He's saying, I the Son of God, Son of Man, must die, verse 24, to fulfill my purpose for coming to earth. Or in other words, I'm just a grain of wheat. If you throw it over to the side by itself, what does it do? Nothing. It's alone. You throw a grain of wheat, I'm going to be all right. You throw a grain of wheat over to the side and you don't plant it in the earth, it does no good at all. So he's saying, I have to be planted or die. My death, verse 24, will yield much fruit. My death will yield much grain. If you take that grain of wheat and you just put it to the side, nothing's going to result. But if you take that grain of wheat and you plant it, it's watered, it, it will yield to a great Harvest, that's Jesus' point. I have to die, even though you don't want me to. I have to die, some of you don't want me to, to yield much fruit. An unplanted seed does nothing. 
a planted seed yields much fruit. You know what the much fruit is Jesus is referring to? It's me and you. It's the church. Flip back for a moment to John chapter 11, verse 25. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We started out talking today about man is simply looking for the meaning of life. Jesus laid it out right there. I'm the resurrection and the life. You believe in me, you may die, but you will live. If you live and believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe this? It's a question every human being has to answer. You have to do something with Jesus Christ. Who is he? You can reject him. He still loves you. He still died for you. He was still tortured to death for you. Or you can yield to him and be everything that God created you to be. That's the second point of the grain of wheat illustration. Look at verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If you serve me, follow me where I am. You bear my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So Jesus' second illustration with the grain of wheat is this. It's the great paradox of the Christian life. If I want to have life, I've got to die. Wait a minute. You have to die to self. Earlier Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Come die with me. And then you can really understand life. If you want to have life on earth, you die to self. Jesus died so you could have life eternally and peace on earth. He gives to you eternal life. He gives to you life right now, meaningful existence right now, and eternal life. So it's Jesus' death, the first illustration. Second illustration is my death to sin to live for him. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul put it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, gave himself for me. So the idea is this. I come to Christ and I say, Lord, I'm yours. I want you for just a moment flip over to John 15, still in the upper room discourse. John 15, verse 4. Jesus speaks, Abide in me, I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. I need to see Jesus Christ. I need to be like these Greeks. I want to see Jesus. Not just that he died on the cross for my sins. I want to see him finally, verse 27, in my life every day. I need to look for seeing Jesus. Look at verse 27. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose. I came to this hour. 28. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven saying, I both glorified it, my name, and I will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard it and said it had thundered. 
Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. I need to daily see Jesus. Look back at verse 27. Seem is troubled about being the sin bearer, bearing the wrath of God, being forsaken by God, all those things we talked about. He's saying in verse 27, I'm not going to, shall I ask to be released from this? No, because this is why I came. For for me and you and all of us as believers, I think on a daily basis in our prayer life, we need to understand the purpose for which Jesus came was my sin, to pay for it so I could be freed. And I could live as someone who had been freed. I could live with peace and hope and joy knowing not only will I die and go to heaven, but that right now I know the meaning of life. So he said, I'm troubled, but I know my purpose. And the bottom line is I want to glorify God. And I love the last couple of verses here. You hear the voice of the Father as Jesus is saying, I'm troubled, but I know for why I came. And I want to glorify God my life. I want to see Jesus. I want to glorify him daily. But you hear the voice of the Father. And here's what he's literally doing. He's giving his stamp of approval to Jesus' earthly ministry that has brought him to this point and what he's about to do by going to the cross. God the Father is saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You only see this three times in Scripture. In the ministry of Jesus Christ. Three times you hear the audible voice of the Father in the ministry of Christ. One was at his baptism. Two was at his transfiguration where he showed a portion of his glory to Peter, James, and John. And three is right here. Here's what God is saying. Son, you've done everything I sent you to do. And he knew he was going to turn his back on him as he became the sin debt. That propitiation, the substitute for me and you. God placed that wrath on him. He knew. The father said, I'm well pleased with my son. What you have done, remember, he is outside time, and I'm also well pleased with what you're about to do. So in verse 30, Jesus says, this voice that you hear is for your sake. So my prayer, your prayer, is I want to see Jesus glorified in my life every day. Now I want you to flip over in your Bibles 1 Corinthians 15, which you read earlier, I want to just read it again, and I want you to, we're going to focus on one word, and then we're going to share communion together. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, Paul's writing, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Verse 17. If Christ has not risen, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we have all men most to be pitied. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Grain of wheat. 
Jesus died, rose again, so that we could be the fruit of the spread of the gospel. We're still doing that to this day. Literally, yesterday, as I'm cutting my grass, I had people stop, uh, three different people stop in front of my house, and I'm just talking to them, being able to share the gospel with them. You never know, as we've said many, many times. But now Christ is risen, became the first fruits. He rose from the dead, conquered sin and death, so you and I could be saved. We're raised to new life in Christ right now. So here's my question to you as we get ready to share the Lord's Supper together. Do you want to see Jesus in your life right now? Every day, do you want to see Jesus? Because he took that sting of death away. Tell you a quick story, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. The little boy was in a car with his father, and they were driving down a country road one afternoon, and, and the boy was deadly allergic to bee stings. And a bee flew into the car, and the, the boy was terrified, petrified. His father reached out, grabbed the bee, and held it for a moment. Well, you know what happened. The bee stung the father. Well, if you know bee stings. Once they sting, you take the stinger. That's it. He threw it out, threw it down. The boy's still petrified. He's terrified because he still sees the bee. Here's what the father said. Look at my hand. I took your sting. You don't have to worry about it. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, death has no sting in our lives. Why? Because Jesus took it for us. Do you want to see Jesus? Let's pray together, and then we're going to share the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you particularly on this Easter Sunday, that we celebrate the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That resurrection, without it, we have no hope. With it, we have all hope. We're grateful. We thank you. And Lord, as we get ready to share the Lord's Supper together, we simply would remember, never forget, his death, proclaim it till he returns, because that's why we are here. He's the first fruits. We're the latter harvest. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want you to get your elements together. And for me and Steve and Paul, we have the actual communion elements you buy. Yours might be a cracker and water. It might be a peanut and Coke. I don't care what it is because the significance is in the symbol. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says this. Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I deliver to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, we've been reading about that a lot today, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Here's our privilege. We get to say to the world, Jesus loves you. He died for you.
he rose again so that you don't have to fear death. And in the midst of, again, a, a pandemic where people are afraid, as Christians, we don't like what's going on, but we know our God is bigger than a virus. We trust him in the middle of all that we face. I want to pray together, and then I'm going to share a couple of things with you, and we will be done. Let's pray. Father, once again, we just simply thank you that Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. He's risen indeed. And because he is risen, we have life. We have hope both now and forever. Lord, I pray for everybody that's watching this, and we are worshiping together. We celebrate the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our risen Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Couple things I want to mention to you. Number one, we are going to have a help group this coming Saturday. We're going to do it on the parking lot like we did last month. Nobody that will be going into the building. We need some people to go into the building and sort the food. We will be spaced out uh, in the right way. You can bring a mask and gloves. We will get the food, put it in the baskets, and then we will put it in their cars. So that is this Saturday at the Bartlett campus. And then the other thing that I want to mention to you is and Something Steve and I have been involved in, and I really appreciate what Steve has done in putting this together. We're calling this thing Word of Encouragement. And I know many of you have seen it this week. We were doing some of the last words of Christ on the cross. And we're going to be doing stuff weekly and maybe more often. And there'll be other, it won't just be me. You'll be able to look at some other pretty faces, some of the elders and other staff members to encourage you, just to bring you a word of encouragement from God's word, from our hearts, that we love you. And the greatest word of encouragement you can ever hear is that Jesus loves you, died for your sins, and is right in the middle of whatever you're facing. He's there with you. So you can go to, I'm going to have Steve tell me, make sure I get it right. You can go to the website. You can go to Facebook. Steve is laughing at me because I don't know what any of those things mean, but he does. Uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, anything else that I left out? All right, I got them all. So I really do appreciate uh, this has been, Steve and I spent some time together night and, and uh, made some, God is really blessed. And I'm hearing from people literally uh, all over the country that are watching it. And it's just been a thrill and encouragement to Steve. And, and the last thing I want to say to you is I really appreciate where we are right now, at least through the month of April, having to do this uh, uh, Facebook Live and do this this way. At least through April, and we'll see where we are going forward, but I really appreciate the encouragement. Stephen, I've talked about this a number of times, how encouraging it's been to us, the response that we've had as you watched it, and you keep praying for us as leaders. We're praying for you, and we love you. God bless you. What did the woman do we know? Poor Paul. Oh, 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 yeah, I didn't think about that.